Coming up next on Abounding Grace. We sin every day. And the key to a walk that's clean before the Lord is to accept the forgiveness of God. But in order to accept the forgiveness of God, like 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's faithful to take that burden away from us. I have sinned greatly. How many people would be free today if they would come to that conclusion? I'm sure you're praying for a few of them right now. This is amazing grace. What happens when God's people begin to trust in the blessing of God rather than the God who blesses? We'll find out today on Abounding Grace. As we continue in our series in 2 Samuel, we will learn that God not only helps individuals discover where true security and strength lie, but nations as well. David's sin of pride rises to the surface as he does something forbidden by God. And that was trusting in the size of his army. As you'll see, it's a trap we can easily fall into. So let's join Pastor Ed Taylor in 2 Samuel chapter 24. So if you haven't already, open your Bible. 2 Samuel chapter 24 opens up where it says, Again, the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel, and he moved David against them to say, Go, number Israel and Judah. So the king said to Joab, the commander of the army who was with him, Now go throughout all the tribes of Israel from Dan to Beersheba and count the people, that I may know the number of the people. And Joab said to the king, Now may the Lord your God add to the people a hundredfold more than they are. And may the eyes of my lord the king see it. But why does my lord the king desire this thing? Nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Joab and against the captains of the army. So Joab and the captains of the army went out from the presence of the king to count the people of Israel. And they crossed over the Jordan, camped in Aror, on the right side of the town which is in the midst of the ravine of Gad toward Jazer. Then they came to Gilead and to the land of Tatim Hachi. And they came to Dan, John, Ja'an, and around to Sidon. And they came to the stronghold of Tyre and to all the cities of the Hivites and the Canaanites. And they went out to the south of Judah as far as Beersheba. So when they had gone through all the land, they came to Jerusalem at the end of nine months and 20 days. So it took them nine months, 20 days to count all the people. And Joab gave the sum of the number of the people to the king. And there were in Israel 800,000 valiant men who drew the sword. And men of Judah were 500,000 men. Now, you guys that read ahead, I want to speak to just some of you, and maybe more of you in the future will become Bible students. Because those of you that read ahead, you might have seen a cross-reference in your Bibles to 1 Chronicles. Because in 1 Chronicles, there is a parallel passage. And in the parallel passage in Chronicles, it speaks of Satan moving David. Here it says 
that he, you'll notice in verse 1, that God moved David against them. But in Chronicles, it says Satan moved David. And many of the Bible critics will come and say, well, there you go. You asked for a contradiction. There it is right there. Between Chronicles, 1 Chronicles 21 and 2 Samuel chapter 24, there seems to be a conflict. So which is true? And I would propose to you that both of these statements are true. Satan is the tempter to sin, the Bible teaches us. He is always the one that tempts to sin, and he does move David to sin here. And yet God at the same time is sovereign. And God in his sovereignty has allowed this to happen, but is not the source or the origin of the temptation. So God permits Satan to tempt David in order to accomplish the purposes that he has in mind. Here's the New Testament teaching on that. It's in James chapter 1, verse 12. If you want to flip over there, you can. James chapter 1, verse 12. This is the New Testament equivalent of how God is not the tempter to evil. So notice what he says. He says in verse 12, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he'll receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Verse 13, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. So there's no contradiction here. Both are happening. God is allowing, very similar to what happened in the life of Job. God is not responsible for the temptations that the devil brought about to Job, if his wicked, evil intentions, but God allowed it. Now, what's the big deal about numbering? What's the big deal about numbering? There was nothing illegal spiritually before God in taking a national accounting of people. It's actually prescribed in Exodus chapter 30, verse 11 and following. There's nothing wrong with counting the people. There was a half shekel tax that was collected at the time of counting the people, and it was used to take care of the temple and the sanctuary of God, the tabernacle. But this isn't what David did. What David did, and you'll notice from the answer in verse 9, that valiant men that drew the sword were counted and numbered is what David did. He didn't ask for accounting according to Exodus chapter 30. What David did is he wanted a, he requested a military census to find out how big his army was. And verse 9 makes that clear. That's what they came back with. They came back with a military count. This is how big the army is. And so what would be the sin that he was moved to? And there's a lot of debate or a lot of discussion, not necessarily debate, of what the sin was, but I'll tell you what the root was. The root was a pricking of David's pride. Now think about pride in your life. When's the last time in your prayer life, as you were confessing sin to God, that you confessed pride? Now, not confessing pride because somebody pointed out to you, as somebody can. Oftentimes, pride is so insidious in our lives that we are deceived and self-deceived in thinking we have no pride. And yet our lives can be filled with pride. We know that there's an issue going on even with David's heart here because Joab was against this. 
And Joab wasn't, the, wasn't a man known for his great spiritual stature. And yet, through Joab giving a little bit of resistance, God, through this whole situation, is going to reveal to David a deep root of pride. And the sad thing, before we get to the end of the chapter, is a lot of people lose their lives over this action. Pride's a very deceptive thing. Because none of us can really see it in our lives. It's not something you can look in the mirror and go, oh, there's pride right there. It's not something that we readily admit. We, we, we have a tendency, if you examine your life, we have a tendency to justify whatever's going on in our lives. And the longer that you have a relationship with God, the more of the Bible that you know, the more of a danger it is to justify your current behavior. And what we often call reasons for the way we are are simply just veiled excuses. That's all they are. They're just excuses covering our pride, which will eventually be revealed. But given enough time and given the right temptation, pride, if left unchecked, will manifest itself especially to those that are closest to us, like it is with Joab here. And we see this decision, according to verse 1, angered the Lord. It displeased him, according to First Chronicles. But God still allows it. And that's another question. If you're reading through the Bible, you, you have to ask the right questions or, or the real questions that you have. God is not intimidated by your questions. So one of the questions that I have is, why did he allow it? And I remembered Sometimes God's greatest judgment is simply to let us have our own way. Here's what the Bible says in Psalm 106, verse 15. He gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. And here David, whatever he's dealing with at this time in his life, maybe on a deeper level, David was now drawing his confidence no longer from the Lord, but from the strength of his military, which is always a mistake. It's a mistake for us. A nation's security does not rest in its military prowess. A nation's strength rests in the power of their God. That's why a nation that doesn't worship the one true God is a very weak nation. A very powerless nation. Despite the strength of the military. Or despite the strength of whatever outward measurement that they may have. In Proverbs 14.34 it says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Oftentimes Israel had to face, we read over and over again, over, over and over, Israel would face nations that were much stronger than them, much bigger than them, much more well-equipped, much more militarily strong, and yet they had victory. Why? Because God gave them the victory. Because they went out into the battle and the power and the strength and the trust and the faith in their God. Uh, and we can't help but think of the silly uh, given the direction for the nation of Israel when they were coming out of Egypt and the very first, first city they, they were told to invade, their military uh, direction from God was just march around the city a couple times, few, six times, on the seventh time, yell. And that's how you're going to have victory. I mean, any military person would say, are you kidding me? That's not how we fight a fight. Those guys, they're going to wipe us out. They're going to take us down. And already, remember, the children of Israel was already gripped by fear because of the ten spies that came back and just completely discouraged the whole generation where they're wandering in the wilderness. And now it's the next generation living off that fear, going in by faith 
and God gave the victory. But it was in Ai where they were a little confident and they saw victory behind them that even Joshua didn't seek the Lord. And they went in with their own. We'll just do this and do this and we'll take out Ai. It's much smaller. And we came from this big victory and defeat. It wasn't only a defeat because they neglected to consult God, but it was also a defeat because there was sin in the camp. When you seek the Lord, he reveals all sorts of things. And a neglect to seek the Lord will allow a seat of pride to be at home in our hearts. So David moved to order the numbering of Israel and Judah, and the total came to 1.3 million military. Again, we have a conflict with, con- with Chronicles, which we'll get to many, many weeks from now. But I'm going to, just for the sake of you Bible students, I'm going to read to you uh, Norman Geisler's solution to the particular issues. If you want to pick up a great book on Bible difficulties, I use it all the time. It's not in print anymore, so you have to get it um, on a used book site somewhere. It's called When Critics Ask by Norm Geisler. When Critics Ask. It will be worth whatever it costs these days. It'll be worth the investment. Uh, I've used it. I've done it. I've used that book for devotions. And I've just opened it up and read a Bible difficulty for devotions and really wrestle with the text. And, and I've used it when I'm looking up things, when I'm studying, and I'm like, that doesn't make sense. And, and one of the reasons why I think it's a great resource is not because he gives you the answer. Because actually he doesn't give the answer as much as he gives you the views and then has you come up with, wrestle with what the different views are. And you can come to your own conclusion biblically. So here's what he writes on this conflict of the numbering. He says, the number of the men of valor who drew the sword was 800,000, but did not include the standing army of 288,000 described in 1 Chronicles chapter 27 verses 1 through 15, or the 12,000 specifically attached to Jerusalem described in 2 Chronicles chapter 1 verse 14. Including these figures gives the grand total of 1.1 million of valor, men of valor, who composed the entire army of the men of Israel. The figure of 470,000 in 1 Chronicles 21 did not include the 30,000 men of the standing army of Judah. Now you see why you need to get the book. I mentioned in 2 Samuel 6.1. This is evident from the fact that the chronicler points out that Joab did not complete the counting of the men of Judah according to 1 Chronicles 21 verse 6. So both calculations are correct according to the groups which were included and excluded from each report. Chew on that one for a while. But if you put the pieces together, you'll see that one account included some people and another account excluded some people. That's why the numbers aren't different. It's that simple. Verse 10. Now David's heart condemned him after he had numbered the people. Verse 10, back in 2 Samuel. So David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. But now I pray, O Lord, take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. Now when David arose in the morning, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Gad, David's seer, saying, Go and tell David, thus says the Lord, I offer you three things. Choose one of them for yourself, that I may do it to you. So Gad came to David and told him, and he said to him, Shall seven years of famine come to you in your land? Or shall you flee three months, flee three months before your enemies while they pursue you? Or shall there be three days plague in your land? Now consider and see what answer I should take back to him who sent me. And David said to Gad, 
I am in great distress. Please let us fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are great, but do not let me fall into the hand of man. We don't know how long after the counting. We know that a lot of time has passed uh, at the end of nine months and 20 days. So nine months and 20 days took place to count everyone. And we don't know how long it took for David's heart to bring what, what it says in the scriptures condemned him, but what today we would refer to as the conviction of the Holy Spirit. We don't know how long that took. It could have, it, it's probably at least months, but at least it happens. And you notice he refers to his actions as sinning greatly and, being, and having done something foolishly. Those are, that's always the beginning to repentance. To come to the conclusion that I have sinned greatly. And that's been a common theme in David's life. Because somebody like you and me that sin every day. You realize that, don't you? You sin every day. In one way or another. It might be news to you for you to understand about your pastor. But your pastor sins every day. Just like you. And you go, what? I don't sin. Well, you just sin right now. By refusing to acknowledge even things that maybe you think you're on a roll that day and you're doing so good and man, I've made it eight hours and 23 seconds and I got the timer on and I'm just not going to sin today. And, and you, then you pray, Lord, would you examine my heart and search me and know me and reveal to me if there's any unclean thing? And, and you pray that and he says, man, it's, you were unclean the minute your eyes opened. And you go, really? Yeah, do you remember this thought? No, I, I chose not to remember that thought. Well, that thought was a sin against me. Nobody heard it. Nobody saw it. You even ignored it because it's such a common thought. But I'm your God. And I just want you to know that thought is a sin against you and me. And we, we sin every day. And the key to a walk that's clean before the Lord is to accept the forgiveness of God. But in order to accept the forgiveness of God, like 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's faithful to take that burden away from us. I have sinned greatly. How many people would be free today if they would come to that conclusion? I'm sure you're praying for a few of them right now. I had a phone call right before service. Uh, before Marie came into the office, I had a phone call and, and we were praying for someone that if they just came to the conclusion I've sinned greatly, God can start working in their life right away. That fast. And perhaps you're listening in right now and wondering, what is it? What is it about my life? What is it about my relationship? What it, hey, the beginning is I have sinned greatly. And in previous studies, we've looked at the, especially when we're looking at Psalm 51, if you recall, the, really, the, the real emphasis between worldly sorrow and, and actually the difference between worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. Godly sorrow often begins with these words, I've sinned greatly. I have done foolishly. And this has been a theme in David's life. Why? Because sin is a part of his life, just like it's a part of our lives. So many times we're not choosing to sin, and so many times we are. So many times it's just our flesh and the reaction of our flesh and bad habits. And other times we're willfully choosing it and everything in between. And in David's life, what is he, what is he exactly confessing but his pride, counting the people and trusting in the size of his army, something that's strictly forbidden to those that are kings. Kings were told not to trust in horses. And you might read that in your daily devotions and go, who trusts in horses? 
Why would I trust in horses? I have horses for pets. My neighbor has horses. I've never once trusted in that horse. I've never once trusted that horse to do anything for me. What a silly thing to say. But in the context of the day, horses represented strength. Strength represented military power. And kings weren't to trust in the amount of horses and chariots that they had. And one way not to trust in that is to not count them. Do you know it's something that we do here in a similar way? Something that we've adopted from the very beginning of the church. I can't say that we've always been faithful to it, especially in the early days. But we made a commitment, and I made a commitment, and I ask all the guys here, uh, anyone that's in leadership, do not count how many people come to a service. Don't do it. I don't want to know. And neither do you. Because when you start worrying about something like that, and you start, well, you know what, Pastor, you got to understand, we've got XYZ less than last year, last week. So what? And you know, this week compared to last week, uh, or last, this week compared to last year, and you know the trends, the trends, oh, the trends. <laughs> well, you start counting something, you start paying attention to it. You start paying attention to it, you start worrying about it. You start worrying about it, you might start bragging. Maybe it's the opposite. Oh, pastor, you don't know. We have so many more people this week than we did last. We must be the best church in town. Oh, the church down the street, they ended their midweek service. That's all. No big deal. I have to say, in the early days, it was hard because, you know, when you had 30 people there and 15 showed up the next week, it was hard not to count them. So I can't say I was absolutely, I've been absolutely faithful with that. And I can't say that I, I haven't at times trusted in how many people were coming to church. But I'll tell you what, I've been around long enough that it doesn't matter. It absolutely doesn't matter. The Lord is going to um, stir up and draw people to Bible study that need to be here physically. And then the people that are tired and had a long day at work, they're not going to be here physically, but they're going to be on the radio and maybe they're not able to be on the radio. They are sitting in front of their computer right now. We don't need to worry about those things. And it's just one of, maybe you have to look in your life of what you're paying so much attention to that can go up and down when that's what you're trusting in. When it's high, you're happy. When it's low, I minister to a lot of pastors and a lot of church planters, having been a church planter myself. And this is a big deal. You may think, what's the big deal, Ed? Let me tell you something. This is a big deal. When you go to a conference, inevitably they go, how big is your church? And I'm so grateful that I can say, I don't know. This is how big the sanctuary is, and this is how many services we have. And people come and go. And they do. Now, of course, would any pastor want to reach more people as they can? Yeah, of course. But you have to be careful. Would a, would a king want to have enough military, like Jesus used, to count the cost when he goes to war? Of course. But not when the root is pride and disobedience. Not when the root is pride or disobedience. Pride can so easily creep into our lives. And what a needed reminder to confess that to the Lord, repent, and trust in God alone. Today on Abounding Grace, we've listened into a portion of Pastor Ed Taylor's study in 2 Samuel. Now, if you joined us late or would just like to give this a second listen, just go online to AboundingGraceRadio.com or look for our program wherever you get your podcasts. Have you had a chance to download our free app? 
You know, this is another great way to take in the teaching of God's Word and download it today by searching for Ed Taylor. We enjoy hearing from our listeners. Even just a quick hello telling us the station you listen to means a lot to us. Maybe you didn't realize it, but Pastor Ed reads these emails. Let us know how we can pray for you, too. You can email us through the website at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Go on, email us. We'd love to hear from you. And please remember that Abounding Grace is made possible through the support of our listeners. We look to the Lord to provide and guide. And when you give a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace, you're invited to request a copy of Warren Wiersbe's excellent book, The Strategy of Satan. Do you feel as though you keep falling for Satan's tricks, but desperately want to experience victory over the enemy? Well, The Strategy of Satan can help. Warren Wiersbe will not only draw attention to the enemy strategies, but will explain how to overcome. You can defeat the enemy by obeying God's truth. Call us now at 877-30-GRACE, 877-30-GRACE, or go online to calvaryco.store. And be sure to join Pastor Ed Taylor next time for more teaching from 2 Samuel. That's right here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace This is unfailing love That you would take my place That you would bear my cross You laid down your life That I would be set Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado, and online at AboundingGraceRadio.com.